0: My name is Shlomi Ron. I'm the co-founder and the CEO at the Visual Storytelling Institute, uh, based in uh, sunny uh, Miami, Florida. Actually, uh, today I'm uh, uh, broadcasting from uh, Tel Aviv in Israel. I'm here uh, for a two-week visit, and today uh, the focus of our show is kind of an interesting one. I've been trying to do a show about uh, e-learning for a while now, and it so happens that uh, I met a fantastic fantastic guy that uh, he's an expert in e-learning and storytelling so I couldn't ask for more actually. (laughs) So just a little bit about uh, e-learning in general just so you can uh, set the stage properly. So from the quick search that I've done, it it looks like uh, the global e-learning market size is expected expected to reach uh, 65.4 billion by 2023. Uh, And this is according to a survey by Research and Markets and this uh, phenomenal growth uh, projection is driven largely by two elements. One is, uh, and I'm sure my guest is going to talk about it, uh, technology-enabled learning that helps organizations train uh, human resource uh, and and number two, the strong adoption of mobile and social media that really work as uh, on-the-go amplifiers so those two elements together are really responsible for the tremendous growth in the e-learning space and that's why i'm super excited to have on our show today uh, one of the really the amazing e-learning experts and also uh, a narrative futurist uh, Yanis Angelis and before we get started i want to give you guys uh, some background uh, about uh, Yannis. So Yannis has been working for more than 25 years in uh, organizations in different uh, roles, mainly training, strategy, planning, marketing, and communication. His work is uh, informed by the principles of Gestalt psychology, Theory U, narrative therapy, and the art of hosting. And he also facilitates teams on storytelling, collaboration, learning strategies, innovation, and future making in a disruptive world. Uh, if, you, if, if that's not enough, he's also coaching <laughs> and curating an individual on their career path and designs and host events on organizational change and personal transformation, such as the Intaggio and Berl- Berlin Change Days, uh, just to name a few. And recently co-authored a, a book called Beyond Storytelling. And this book is all about uh, demonstrating how to work with stories in organizations, communities, and as an individual wow that's a mouthful that's fantastic uh, trajectory and welcome uh, to the show Yanis
1: thank you Slommi. thank you so much for the invitation i'm really happy to be here and uh, to share you know part of my knowledge part of my experience
0: so with that uh, i'd like to start uh, asking you a very simple question you know when you think about the buyer's journey and the funnel, you know, it's a marketing model where basically the first stage is a discoverer and you're typically, you know, dealing with strangers that are going to hear your story for the first time. So this is exactly the context that uh, you are, are at this moment uh, with my audience. You know, they are complete strangers for you. So if they asked you, well, tell us uh, what you do and what makes what you do so special, what would you say?
1: Okay. I mean, you already said a lot. Uh, I just want to elaborate more on these two things that are more or less dominating my profession, now, which yes. is the one is um I work as a story practitioner, mm-hmm. and what does this mean is it means that I'm working with stories, and storytelling and visual storytelling is a part of it. There are okay. a lot of there are a lot more elements of a story work, which is story listening, which I consider as a an essential and basic leadership skill today in Is it similar to social listening? Story listening. Okay. Yeah. So how do to... you really listen to stories? There is a kind of approach of how we listen to stories, in order even to support the storyteller to tell yeah. their stories better in a better way. So story listening is a part of it. Um, story harvesting—it's very important. So what are the stories that we are really, well, we choose to collect? Yep. and harvest and what do we do with these stories after story triggering how can we support people and create a space for them to open up and tell their stories their authentic stories so there are a lot of things that they are much more connected to this term which is called story work and awesome. so this is this is my occupation I'm, I'm, I'm working as a story practitioner and of course this is taking place in organizations so when they invite me right um this means that they are all connected with leadership, with change, with uh, cross-cultural intervention. Yeah. So everything related uh, uh, with the functions of the organization. But I always, see. story is always figural. I understand. So, yeah. This was the one thing. The second thing you mentioned, it is a narrative futurist. And I'm sure that our audience says, what is that? <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. It sounds uh, very exciting, though. <laughs> yeah.
1: So let, let me elaborate a bit on that. So actually, what does it mean is that uh, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm trying to breathe uh, life into, most of the times, dry and stiff foresight scenarios. You uh-huh. know, these scenarios, they come out of a research, they are something like 500 pages, probably nobody reads them, and they're more or less talking about um, climate change or what's going to happen with the food, what's going to happen with the energy. But actually, what's happening there is that the the people are missing. Huh? So there is a lot of data. There are a lot of predictions. So what I'm doing is that I'm supporting people to find and place themselves in these scenarios. So what I'm doing is that I'm supporting. I support them to build their future stories. And this means not only uh, where you are going to be, but what will be your role there, and what will be your contribution, hmm. and of things to happen or not to happen if we don't want that so these are the two main pillars uh, that i'm doing today and the learning of course it was something that i was doing for many years in the past and in this period i'm through uh, these processes of story practitioner i advise companies if they want to bring stories and visual storytelling in their programs and i'm supporting them now from the stage of a story practitioner
0: i see so it, it sounds like uh, you as you said you are basically operating on um, two spheres one is the organizational storytelling and two is the uh, you know the the forecasting of uh, how uh, the future is going to look like uh, in a story format uh, in different uh, for different topics and e-learning is just uh, one mechanism or vehicle that uh, you use in order to uh, work with people
1: and kind of get them
0: uh, trained on the uh, different objectives right
1: yeah, also, yeah And this includes also personal coaching so it. it's it's all in a the mix there depending on what would be the needs of the of the person of the customer who invites me
0: right so so you mentioned uh, that uh, as part of these uh, two spheres of activities, you also uh, use visual storytelling. So one of the things that I also do uh, on, on this show with my guest is uh, typically I kind of try to probe them because visual storytelling, as you know, is uh, historically uh, is referenced as a in the context of filmmaking, graphic design. Uh, movie making it's pretty new in the context of marketing, which is what the visual storytelling institute is focusing on so I'm kind of wondering since it's a new definition under new context, what is your definition for visual storytelling in what uh, in the programs that you're running
1: yeah um I mean, you you have really, really depicted very nicely uh, in your masterclass, uh, um, Shlomi. Mm-hmm. In, uh, it's not something really rocket science to define uh, what is visual storytelling. And you, you have put it very nicely about saying Thank that you. it's a marketing strategy, I mean, about engaging customers, putting customers in the center. So then if somebody could go and check this particular uh, terminology that you have placed there, um, regarding my projects I would just firstly exchange the word marketing with mm-hmm. the word training so it's actually it's a training strategy as well Got okay uh, and of course um, I, I would like to expand it more in, in, in its in its let's say um, soft perspective mm-hmm. so for me, visual storytelling in the training realm is an invitation mm-hmm. it's an invitation for enhancing the learner's engagement Got it. and this Proven by research and science, and I would take it even a step further, which is not only um, uh, 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 we're not only really about engagement, but we are talking about the feeling of belonging, and uh, uh, and also this takes you to the next step, which is that the people that they feel that they belong in this tribe of stories that you create in a visual way for 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 for, for your products, they become best advocates after, right, and you yeah so and uh, uh, and you know the more uh, the more the people get attached with your stories the more they will talk about these stories after I so see. this is a thing that i would put in the visual storytelling it's not just a tool or a method it's it's, it's an invitation for something
0: that's interesting Good perspective you know i never thought about it this way and especially in the training realm where you basically want to get people engaged in the materials and not bore them right uh, with a lot of uh, kind of flat questions survey like uh, how can you take it to the next level i'm going to talk about it, i'm sure so but before we do that i want to kind of um, rewind uh, your story so to speak <laughs> and and basically kind of if you could take us to uh, the early days uh, you know how got you, how did you start in uh, e-learning in the first place in storytelling? Because what's interesting uh, for my audience, which is comprised uh, of marketers and entrepreneurs, is how people start the journey they are on today. You know, the, the first steps that you took are really meaningful. What was the call to adventure?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. So if we're, thinking, if we're thinking in terms of the hero's journey. Yeah. it's exactly as. You you said it It was a call to adventure and in, in a sentence it's like as you said so something compelling re- really triggered me uh-huh yeah and this was this was back in 2011 so it's something like eight years ago um i was leading the marketing department in a big german uh, pharmaceutical company and you're based in berlin just so i forgot to mention this right no, no, I'm not in Berlin. I'm, I'm I'm, in a place which is called Bad Homburg, and it's very close to Frankfurt. Oh, I see. Got it. Okay. And Bad Homburg was the, the place where the headquarters of of the company I used to work for was there. So yes. uh, when I was there, uh, um, it, you know, it was the time, I don't know if you remember, it was the time that this famous uh, phenomenon of MOOCs, so oh, yeah. MOOCs is a uh, just for, you, for our audience, MOOCs is an abbreviation about which is stands for Massive Open Online Courses. Yeah, this it was the
0: time that this. Coursera, right?
1: Coursera is one that's, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Coursera is a platform. So uh, the MOOCs, is, uh, the, the phenomenon of MOOCs is, is 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 about top-notch universities. They decided to offer for free their top-notch classes. Some of them, at least. Right. And it, it created, it, it was a small revolution in the learning environment, in the educational environment, um, not only the academic one, but also in organizations because most of the people were joining were coming from organizations. Right. So one of these people, it was me. Huh? So uh, I was very much intrigued. I was very much enthusiastic when I started testing that. And I remember I was coming back home. Something like eight o'clock, sometimes nine o'clock in the evening after my, after my work, I played a little bit with my kids. I put them to bed. Yeah, and I was, you know, after ten o'clock in the evening, sometimes, most of the times after midnight, I was there in my dark room, hmm. you know, in front of my screen, discovering that I can learn in a new way. This new e-learning, this new uh, digital uh, way of learning was really for me a kind of uh, uh, how can I say revelation is the English word so it was I saw I saw the light yeah. <laughs> in my dark room I saw the light
0: the show,
1: pretty much <laughs> it, it, it was amazing and uh, of course this was uh, and, and 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 I take the opportunity now to, to to touch to tap on some visual storytelling elements that they were in these MOOCs that really triggered me and made me some months after to bring this concept in my company. I see. So it was a kind of transformational process for me because at that that time, like a a universe conspiracy, the company asked me to support the digital, uh, the new digital strategies, the shift from typical classroom trainings to more digitalized ones. So everything happened at the same time. And I say, hey, this is what I want to do. Hmm. I'm going to this beautiful experience that I personally have in my dark room. I want to bring it in the company and create beautifully learning programs. Because I was so much engaged in this new way of learning that yeah. I thought, yes, this is something that we can do in the organization. And, and do you know what uh, platform did you use at the time? Most of the times it was Coursera. Okay. And, uh, I also I did some courses in EDX. EDX oh, is the platform. At the time, it was uh, Harvard and um, what else? Which one? You definitely another one. Yeah, and MIT. So Harvard and MIT was in this platform. Um, was... So my, my first course was about uh, on organizational analysis. Oh, I see. It was from Stanford. And just to give you one visual storytelling element there. So what was happening, you know, back in 2011, still some things were a bit primitive in terms of technology. So, the professor, what he did, he just uploaded his slides. But let me see if I can find and share that. Let me see if we can see it on the screen. Can you see that on the screen? Yes. So, you know, it was this course, and he was somehow talking in the, and he was appearing as as an animation in this uh, um, um, right hand down corner of the slide, (laughs) of the screen. And I felt like in my dark room, it was like a miniature that it was jumping out on my desktop teaching for me. Oh, that's so funny. So I mean, uh, so yeah, there were slides, but at the same time, uh, this nice way of, uh, uh, of visualizing this nice story. This was, the, uh, uh, I think, the, uh, the missile crisis in Cuba. So he was telling this story, and at the same time, he was there. Yeah, the slides were there. He was there. That's a nice thing. So, uh, just for our, our audience to know. So, I think this was very effective. Because uh, you get me. facial expressions, you get the emotions. Exactly. Exactly. And this thing that he was like a miniature that I could just take him and put him on my desk. Um, and because he was very, he was a very good uh, um, lecturer, and actually he was telling beautiful stories. Um, I felt that he was te- teaching personally for me. So this is one thing. The second thing that he did is that every, um, when, when every week there were modules. So every week when the module was ending, he was doing these side screen chats. So he was taking some questions from the students. Uh-huh. He was creating a video, a simple video, but it was a short one. And he was answering these questions, which I think, let me see. uh, If I can share that, a minute. Um. So you can see here, it's a simple video, probably with his mobile in his office, in his back office, and he is just very much again. uh, So video is, as we know, is a great, I think, uh, uh, visual storytelling uh, uh, means. So. He was communicating with this way with uh, his students in a way that he was answering the questions that the students have posed during the week. So,
0: that's interesting. So, it's like almost like a, key, a personal QA session where students would send questions, they record a, a video question, and he would answer them in a recorded exactly. session afterwards.
1: Exactly. Yeah. exactly. And then, you know, when you have something like we, were, we have been, I think, 50,000 students. I mean, it's amazing. 50,000 students in a virtual class. And today, I mean, I checked the numbers. Today, we have 100 million students worldwide that they are participating and have been enrolled in MOOCs. Okay. This is a crazy yeah. number, huh? Yeah. So uh, we have been 50,000 students. And when you have 50,000 students, there will always be somebody who take notes and share it with the other people. Okay? Right. With the other so there was a guy there. And let me show this also, uh, another nice um, um, visual storytelling. Um, so it's like a community, yeah. basically a community of students helping each other. Yes, but I mean, he created this nice, it's not an infographic, it's a kind of, of, of learning tree. It it's a kind of map, you know. So uh, he was visualizing his notes in a way that it has been quite easy to go through. In a structured way, so it's a tree, and uh, um, this was communicated with all the students through the chat room. Oh, that's so so that's a nice thing, also, that maybe people can use, you know, and I think there are some uh, um, tools that they they do that in an automated way in the web. Um, I don't know anyone to propose, but uh, I think that there is something, anyhow. So. So this, as you can imagine, all these kind of beautiful things uh, that they were happening with my personal learning triggered me to do the same thing in the company. And it was incredibly successful because, of course, then I, I, I did a lot of more things. So I used a lot of other uh, elements, but we can t- we can talk about it after. So okay. this is the backstory, actually, of me wow. dealing, with, uh, uh, getting enthusiastic with the learning world. And of course, after that, when I started working with e learning, I realized that the most, let's say, effective element for people to be engaged and get in a flow is to tell stories. Mm, I see. You tell stories about the product, you tell stories about the, uh, whatever it had, it had to be uh, uh, the topic. I was in the marketing department, so my learnings were not like HR e le- learnings about skill development, they were all about product knowledge. Good. So, product Good. knowledge. And this means that uh, uh, we were building for any new product, we were building any learning, and it was part of the launch package for the salespeople.
0: Got it. So I think this is a great, uh, your story is a great evidence actually to the fact that uh, sometimes you need to experiment with as many things as possible because you can never know what uh, could trigger, you know, your next adventure that's going to be, you know, your main focus, either as an independent uh, storyteller or as part of a working for an organization. So like you did uh, with that uh, German company. So so that's a great lesson to have. So I'm kind of curious now, as you were kind of plunging into, you were asked to create an e-learning program for that German company, what uh, were the typical business objectives they asked you to, to achieve, basically, using this program?
1: Mm, yeah. Ah, thanks for asking that, because it's, it's a kind, not complicated, but it, it, it relates to what was the respective stakeholder. So, for example, uh, the boss of my boss, who was the president and a board member, his main objective was how can we raise the sales? Is your e-learning programs supporting us to raise the sales? Of this particular product that day uh, uh, um, learning is referring to, and um, yes, it was of course the case. And uh, since this was a kind of entrance, we did it gradually. We did a lot of pilot programs, so we had the opportunity to compare, you know, how things were going we're when we were in learning, yeah. and mm-hmm. how things were going when we had to still the the old classroom training. So there was a difference. And it was uh, um, reflected also on the sales. And just to provide provide more
0: context, uh, what was the nature of the product you were uh, doing the e-learning around? Medical devices. Medical devices, got it.
1: Medical devices. So then um, uh, the other stakeholder, which had his own objective, more or less similar to, of course, to the president, which was, of course, it was my boss who said, yes, we need to raise the sales, but please... I'm holding the budget, so do it with the less cost possible. So this is where the learning thing came in because it has a geographical expansion. And for a global company, this played a big role. Instead of inviting, let's say, something like 400 people from uh, 89 countries to come into the headquarters and train them for a week or whatever, you just do any learning program, and no matter how it costs, it's definitely less costly uh, rather than uh, if these people had to travel. Yeah. So then, of course, it was the scientific department, huh? because they said, hey, okay, this is great. For us, it is important that all the science and the working principles of the devices are really, really uh, uh, depicted in the best scientific way in your learnings. So that was a different objective. So we need to be very much compliant with the scientific um, information and data that uh, the, subject mat- the subject matter experts were providing to us
0: so the scientific the scientific uh, business objective was more around information transfer
1: basically you'd say yeah but the for them because e-learning was a new thing Mm -hmm. they wanted to make sure that um this will be um, let's say transferred in a way that it is compliant with the scientific guidelines that we had in the company got it i see and then the other stakeholder was myself that I was, of course, more than uh, I was interested with all the other th- objectives. And I had an additional one, which for me was the learner's engagement. Mm-hmm. Because that I could get feedback and I could get better in doing my next programs. Got it. My yeah. program. So I needed to, uh, to really uh, bend over and focus on the learner's engagement. So you see, there were different kind of objectives depending on 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 who was uh, um, responsible for what.
0: It's it's kind of interesting. And you were sitting in the marketing department at the time, and then you were asked to do achieve sales objectives, uh, scientific objectives. It sounds like were you also engaged in work that it's more marketing oriented on the business objective side?
1: Yeah, I was, but th- this is another story now because. As I said at that time, I mm. was doing my mar- I had I had my marketing projects, and at the same time, I got this responsibility and mandate Uh-oh. to uh, to go to the training, let's say sphere and realm, and really support the digitalization of the old ways of training that we did in the company for this particular uh, business wow. unit. So I was in this business unit of of blood transfusion. I see. That- and we had medical devices. For blood transfusion, blood separation, and the disposables also, so that was the department I was uh, uh, leading uh, uh, from the marketing perspective
0: got it so now that we know a little bit about uh, your journey the business objective you were asked to achieve uh, while you were sitting in the marketing department doing your marketing projects, in addition you tried you, you started a whole training program then can you walk us a little bit uh, through your journey of uh, what was the user experience like uh, of creating a visual storytelling uh, using a visual storytelling techniques in creating those e-learning programs you know for example have you used the uh, images videos infographics animations what type of elements have you used what techniques or visual storytelling have you used in your programs uh, and give us more sense of the end-to-end process
1: mm, yeah um as i told you i mean uh, i had this experience from the MOOCs, so i took a lot of ideas from there uh-huh. and of course uh, you know technology and and as you mentioned i mean the learning industry is growing like crazy so technology was running really fast so mm-hmm. you kind of New kind of approaches; they were just uh, uh, popping up, and they were emerging. And uh, so, I was um, um, the work I was doing was evolving uh, through the time, every year. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, I used a lot of uh, a lot of different kind of uh, visual storytelling elements and, and visual means. And um, let me recall; I would like to to give you an example from one product that we had. Let me just show you one slide for that. Um, so I'm going to share my screen again. And I want you to let me know if you can see this operation room on the screen. Is it oh,
0: wow. true? Wow, look at that. Yeah, yeah, we can definitely see that.
1: So, I mean, you, just just uh, uh, no doubt that this is happening back in 2013, okay? Mm-hmm. so. What I did, for example, just to to support our audience to understand and maybe also use something. So so this was about how to use the product in the operation room. Normally in the past, we had this, which is called a manual. (laughs) Okay. And uh, it was a PDF file. So people were creating some slides, uh, PowerPoint slides for that. And there was a person, normally the subject matter expert, who was inviting people for the training and explaining that and then maybe people, they were going there and had the hands-on training in some of our labs. Okay? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, but then um, the way I did this e-learning was, was, was program was very different. So I created stories. Instead mm-hmm. of having a manual, I created a story so as it is happening in, uh, in, in real life. And here is a kind of experienced senior anesthesiologist and he is training a junior anesthesiologist. In the operation room. Yeah. So I created the environment. So I had an image. I use images that I would find in a gallery, which is an image. It is. It's. It's not a real. It's. It's an image created. Most of the times, a good tip for um, for our audience, if they want to find some environments and images and avatars and so on, they need to search in game uh, 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 websites, because this is where people they buy avatars, they buy a uh, uh, different kind, weapons, clothes, uniforms, yes. whatever. So we had this image here, and then we bought some avatars. So these are avatars, okay? This is a low-budget solution, huh? because we didn't create an animation as people used to see in the movies or even in the, in the, the animations that we are used when we are entering a, an aircraft, and they tell us about how to uh, put our seatbelt and so on. So this was a low-budget solution. So So we you
0: you source the visuals from different uh, databases that are available to people, and then you kind of mix and match,
1: you know, the avatars from one source, the backdrop from another. Exactly, exactly. So there were different ones. I mean, I don't know if you know, when you buy avatars, normally you buy them naked, huh? Yeah, okay. (laughs) And this is funny because it's software. So sometimes you buy clothes. We had some some crazy uh, stories. You buy clothes that they don't fit. (laughs) <laughs> and it's, it's, it's like in reality. So, um, so then we, we buy the avatars. And what I do here is that you see there is a screen here, which normally in a normal operation room doesn't exist. But this is a, a kind of a virtual screen. So there is, the, there is a video which is played there in order to explain some things to the junior anesthesiologist. Um, there is always a dialogue. And for this, I, I have those, always a voiceover audio. Uh And I always, depending how many characters I have, I buy uh, uh, voices from uh, uh, respectively different kind of uh, actors. So for example, here I had nine characters and I had five. I didn't have just only one uh, male voice and one female voice. I had three female voices and two male voices so that I create a kind of more realistic dialogue. So... Even if it seems like a static thing, which is a sequence of slides, right. the audio okay, and the different perspectives that in every, every slide uses, it creates a kind of feeling that there is a kind of flow of a story. Yeah. Uh, another tip is that I always use subtitles. Always. So this audio is in English. The subtitles are in English. So uh, it, it enhances. We made some surveys and research shows that it enhances. The learning capabilities and uh, it supports the engagement of the of the learners to get into a flow state. So you pretty much started
0: uh, transcribing uh, images uh, way way you know before you know since today like we see it so uh, uh, obvious you know with the video because a lot of the social media feeds uh, you know video is playing silent so you know having uh, the subtitles is a must today. So it seems like you've done it.
1: early on yeah and and uh, when i when i was doing that i didn't know i mean i learned it also recently uh um where was it somebody in linkedin said uh there was a survey so uh, at least in linkedin uh 80 of the video viewers so the people that they they watch videos uh they watch it soundless yeah that's interesting so and even more i think so you need to put subtitles on your videos and maybe this is the case with e-learnings because of the mobility so a lot of the employees they may take their learnings as they are traveling uh, in a train huh? so yeah. then you definitely have something like uh, subtitles when you have a story and audio behind uh to say so and how big was, was the stuff you know it was just you what do you mean it was just me <laughs>
0: Did you have, like, a team of other professionals that uh, helped you produce this?
1: No, I had a team. I had several teams. Uh, So um, I had had the project management team. Um, In this project management team, I also had a a gamer. I was not able to have, from a budget perspective, a game designer, but I was a gamer. So a gamer helped me a lot to deal with the gamification items that I was including there. So... Uh, there was the external agencies that they were doing the programming. So the authoring tools, uh, they were working with the authoring tools, captivate, articulate, whatever. And uh, there was also the internal IT department that they were having the LMS, the learning management system. And when we were giving them ready to use the uh, um, the program, they were uploading it in the platform and it was available for all the employees in the company. So there were several teams working for that for sure. Right. And the
0: platform was really a, a native platform that you guys uh, customized, or it was off the shelf?
1: I mean, as I said, the LMS was uh, uh, an LMS from the company. Um, okay. In the beginning, we bought some LMS from a well known company. Then we started developing with another company our own LMS. Um, today, I'm not sure what it is existing, but uh, uh, let's say there was a kind of platform that it could guarantee the safety. Uh, and that the the content that we were uploading there would not slip away to any competitors' uh, uh, hands, you know, something like this. So, and as I say, regarding authoring tools, I was working with externals at the time, but now more and more companies, they just get this kind of services inside. I see. At least in Europe. I don't know how is it in the U.S., but mm -hmm. in Europe, uh, still we try to have things uh, more or less inside the company. Got it. And
0: just uh, out of curiosity, I, I'm, I'm kind of curious, you know, I understand that you've you, you created these uh, visuals by sourcing uh, them from different uh, databases of avatars and so on, but uh, what type of uh, interactivity have you done uh, for those programs? I'm kind of curious what kind of interaction you created. Thank you for
1: asking. This is very important again, in order to support the engagement of the learners. Yeah, so I include a high level of interactivity. Just to give you an example, I mean, uh, maybe you saw the device. It's it's a big device. It's a quite complicated device. Yep. To, to function. And what I did, for example, I had uh, depending on the on how long was the content, I had one or maybe two or sometimes three modules, which was fully interactive. Actually, I was. In the screen of the computer, I was uh, uh, representing. How can t- I, I, I was having everything that happens in uh-huh. the screen of the device, and people with their mouse were interacting mm-hmm. on their screens. Okay, and every screen was leading to the next screen as it happens in reality when you really uh, uh, functioning the device. Oh wow! So, um, that was really a, a tough work to be done. It needed a lot of knowledge also, and it needed the support of the software programmers as well, which we had, of course, uh, from our labs. Uh, but it, in terms of effectiveness, uh, it was amazing. It was amazing, because people didn't need to have the device in front of them in order to go through basic functions. And they did it in, the, in, in, in on screen with the high level of interactivity that we used. So for me, interactivity is not just clicking to go to the next slide. No, that's not. Sorry. Yes. Uh, Really bad simulation. about simulation. Even the quiz parts we had, you know, so every module at the end, you had the test. This was fully interactive. So people had to match things uh, and to combine things from the device, or they have to compile a disposable, which was in pieces. So you know, there was a lot of interactivity. And uh, at the, even at that time, there were some tools. But today, I can imagine that there are even, even much more tools. But um, where technology gets us, we probably talk a little bit later. Yeah. Yeah. But
0: so it sounds like you did simulations uh, of actual medical devices and in terms of a uh, kind of uh, engaging the, the audience, the learners, have you used a, uh, like any, obviously I assume you had some sort of test or Q and a, uh, to kind of measure that information knowledge transfer, but, uh, at the time did you do anything that uh, was more kind of a a a live experience where the instructor was maybe video chatting with the with the students at the given time to create a sense of a classroom like a virtual classroom or was it all kind of a programmed and self-served to the end user?
1: At this particular time, for this particular kind of products, um, um, as I said, it was a new thing. So the first thing we did it was to do it purely as an e-learning program. So we didn't do webinars, if this is your question. So yes, uh, because the idea was uh, how can we really reduce the costs of you know getting people together, even if this was the case for um, getting them in a classroom in their headquarters in Hong Kong or in Paris or whatever, because mm-hmm. still at that time we had. People had to gather in a place. Got it. But I know today that, of course, webinars are much more a part of the practice uh, mm-hmm. of uh, um, whatever digital uh, strategies we have in the company, exists in the company. Or uh, uh, also, not only uh, from what I see outside, there there are so many tools that they're really moving towards this direction. And there are more to come about huh? with virtual reality, augmented reality. So there are a lot of different kinds of interactions. Uh, that they are coming uh, in the future in the e-learning realm. Yeah,
0: and just before we jump into the future, I'm kind of curious. Yeah. Uh, can you give us an example of like a of the outcome of a, a an e-learning program that you completed successfully? What are the, what is the sec- success uh, criteria? How you measure success?
1: I mean, as I said, this was part of a launch program. Okay so um the first thing was uh, the first criteria was um uh, how the, the time issue so how quickly people got uh, between 90 and 100% of their training mm. and of course compared to the classroom trainings that you had to people to travel and uh, in, in this busy life they have of course there was a big difference on that so this was the first time so um fast access training okay The second thing, as I said, it was how is this reflected to, again, regarding time, quick sales coming, and, of course, much more, uh, uh, let's say, uh, uh, more sales compared to products that we still have them under classroom training. Mm. And as I say, we had this opportunity to do pilot phases, so there were in some continents for the same product, we were introducing training via e-learnings. For the same product, another continent, it was still the old classroom training. And there was a big difference, sometimes double-digit difference in terms of growth in the first nine months, and secondly, in the first 18 months. So there was a kind of, of deviation that we could definitely see, and yeah. we could uh, say that, yeah, this is coming because of the different uh, uh, ways of uh, in introducing new kind of trainings. That so... Is- This was the metrics. And as I say, for me, it was so much important to see people getting motivated because when people get motivated in training, and I have written a book about that, I have developed my own model, I have an e-learning model. And and when I elaborate this, it was published uh, two years ago in the book that you mentioned. It was in this Beyond Storytelling book. Is that if people get engaged and happy with the way they learn, as a parallel process, this is reflected the way they communicate with customers and the way they sell the product, they feel more confident, you know. Yep. They feel more happy. So it's it's it's. I mean, psychologists have proven that. So it's uh, this parallel process is not a kind of. Uh, it's, it's it's a phenomenon that has been very much uh, uh, examined in the Gestalt psychology. So um, I was interested to see how this was going on, mm-hmm. and I really saw that there was a kind of uh, of. Um, a great community engagement now, it was not individual anymore. So, people were really sharing their experiences of these beautiful learning uh, uh, courses they were getting. I got feedback from people that they say, Hey, Yanis, this was for me uh, in my whole career life the best training experience I had, which oh, wow. was, was very touching. Yeah, so so
0: it's uh, like, kind of uh, close on this note uh, of the. Uh, you know success criteria. It sounds like it's ha- you have two categories. One is the, you know, how good was the training program itself. You know, in terms of time completion, and satisfaction, and knowledge, gotcha. market, all that. These are all objective, uh, you know, criteria. But then again, you had the business objectives. So in the case of the sales, you know, you compare before and after. You could see, you know, how the program did. In achieving those sales goals. So, this is an external goal uh, for the training program. Uh, So, it's important to kind of make a distinction uh, of those two.
1: Correct. Uh,
0: And looking now to the future, you know, you kind of uh, dropped a few words about that. I'm kind of curious uh, where you see uh, visual storytelling and e learning uh, heading in the future. What do you see?
1: Um, I mean, um, as I told you, I work also as a narrative futurist. so I see the future from two perspectives. One is the technological perspective. Mm-hmm. And there I think I mean there are so many things coming. Uh, um, virtual reality and augmented reality are now, of course, they are part of the learning of the, of the learning of the digital learning programs incorporates, and artificial intelligence and so on. And where is this getting us in terms of visual storytelling is that, so for example, virtual reality, Mm -hmm. Okay, when you go into a virtual reality learning process, actually, with the technology, the way it has been evolved today, you can become and you are not only the protagonist, but you are the script writer and the director. So, you you know, so you have this virtual reality uh, uh, environment and you can by yourself. Really see yourself in the future there that you create and 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 everything. So, I find this really fascinating, to be honest. And it changes. It's
0: interesting. Also, you know, recently everybody talked about Black Mirror, you know, that interactive uh, TV series on Netflix, where you can actually actually control the the plot line so obviously this is uh, meant for entertainment purposes but uh, you can easily overlay it with training objectives and and really create you know e-learning experience that it's kind of uh, you owned you you control the the nature of uh, the story as you said before so uh, do you think uh, this is where the future is headed you know that uh, you turn your audience into not only consumers, but also proactive story makers.
1: I think yes, at least one part, it goes this direction. And uh, I don't remember who said it, uh, uh, but uh, uh, as you described, so you know, the future is here. It's yes. not just yet evenly distributed. So this is right. what is missing. So. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I think we, we will see a lot of things in, in, in terms of, of storytelling and of visual storytelling coming in the future and uh, new tools and so on. And, but this is, as I said, this is the technological view. Huh? Right. Uh, there is the other one, the human, uh, which I'm also very much interested in. And from this perspective, what I see today, and I think this will continue in the near future, the, 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 the way the things have been, uh, the way the things have changed is that more and more people now with the use of video. So video is a key element for visual storytelling yeah. they share their personal stories mm-hmm. uh, and we see that in linkedin we see it in instagram we see it everywhere and i think this will, will evolve more uh, 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 so we will have much more people in, in in social media and i see that this comes also in the training uh, uh, in the training um, environment so in an organization people will share their stories through videos in the main platform of of uh, uh, of the company, and um, I think that this is a, a thing that more or less again it's here. It just needs uh, some more years to become more organized inside companies. So yeah. people have the need to share their stories, mm-hmm. and technology supports them. And I think the bet we need the bet we have the the, the challenge we have is. How can we really keep these two things together, the human perspective and the technological perspective? Yeah. I think visual storytelling is a vital for that. You know, absolutely. using technology to tell your own personal stories um, in order to engage people, in order to, for whatever reason, so to sell a product, to yeah. engage people in the culture of your company, I think it's a very essential thing for the future,
0: No, absolutely. I cannot agree with you more. So... So, kind of, uh, we reached the almost end of uh, the show. So, I want to finish up uh, by asking you if you can give our audience very simple uh, three tips just to get them started. Let's say we have marketers that work in an organization, a part of a marketing team, or they might have their own startup that they lead and they have uh, maybe customers or partners that they want to train or use e-learning solution for uh, what would you say would be you know the basic three tips for them to get started both from you know the the technical stuff you know the tools that they could use easily mm-hmm. and also you know the philosophy of training that you would recommend
1: them mhm Okay, so the first tip is uh, um, uh, leverage technology. So keep an eye on what's existing there, what's coming, because there are beautiful tools coming up. Some of them, they are for free or they are of really low cost. Mm-hmm. So just keep an eye on what's going on there and make sure that you are uh, able to uh, make choices, I mean, uh, uh, um, wise choices of what you would like to use, because it's everything there, but you need a little bit too. So keep an eye and actually leverage technology for your own benefit. so this is the first thing the second thing from my experience uh, if you want really to engage people in, in this crazy life we we we, we live uh, and you engage them people in the learning process keep it short and crisp yeah so um, uh, my my first corporate experience uh, mm-hmm. uh, um, uh, was a, a, a compliance training that it started with a six minutes video of the head of the company of the compliance, the, uh, uh, the the director, and it was incredibly boring and I lost the whole, everything. So um, what I did it was I applied micro-learning in my projects, which is, uh-huh. now it's called micro-learning, but in the past it was this, you know, you put, you chunk your content. Actually, my, my videos, my longest video was 45 seconds. So even if I had a kind of video of three, four, five minutes, I was chunking it. So in between... I was putting the video. Then I was putting a kind of explanation. Then an animation. Then a small story, and then again, the second part of the video. So, make it short and crisp. Especially and do
0: the ideal time period for what would make an ideal short.
1: I mean, as I said, um, I try to make it really short. For me, maybe uh, um, two minutes. It would be the maximum. Two minutes. Mm-hmm. Two minutes. I, I, as I say, 45 seconds. If you can chunk something in 45 seconds, it's amazing. It's it's like a pitch of it of of, of a, a characteristic of a product, or whatever. So make it really short. Make but, a video, subtitles in the video, and then if you want to add something more, do it in a, in a later phase. So keep it short and crisp. It's and, important.
0: And when you when you say short, another follow-up questions or do yeah, you? Please. Do you throw into that also some set, some sort of interactivity, something for the audience to do, or it's all kind of one-way communication coming from the instructor?
1: No, interactivity is the other tip, which I wanted to say. So okay. definitely include as much as possible interactivity in your projects. So um, as I say, it's a matter of getting people in the flow. It's a matter of engagement. It's a matter of supporting their self-discipline. It's a very difficult thing, you know, to stay on your screen for two hours, yeah, because of learning programs, and you just see slides, you know, passing by. So you you need definitely to have a high level of interactivity. So this is another tip I would like to give. So please allow me to have something like two, three more tips. Not three. It was not so much. <laughs> sure. Uh, sure. Uh, uh, so yes, uh, make it interactive. Make it interactive. No, well, that's awesome. Yeah, because. Uh... I, I'm with you and
0: I'm thinking, you know, there's probably also some hierarchy of an interactivity, you know, from basically flat listening to material, to writing comments, to filling up a short uh, survey, to, you know, real time uh, dialogue like we're doing right now, for example. These are yes. all... There's hierarchy, and the more rich your interactivity, the higher the engagement is going to go up, right?
1: Correct, correct. Um, and the other one, we are talking about uh, visual storytelling yeah. in the era of digital. So we are talking about actually digital storytelling. Yeah. And my tip is keep it human. Right. So, you know, use the digital thing, but keep it human. It means that try to include personal stories. Absolutely. Uh, so that's what we think, for example, instead of, of taking the manual uh, or instead of uh, <clears throat> taking the results of, 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 of a study or a meta-analysis, which is fine, you will put that in your e-learning about the efficiency of a drug or of a device, go out and interview some users. Yeah. Take the personal stories of the people and bring them back. Yeah. And then, you know, do, do your nice stuff with that. In, in the area of digital uh, tools that you have. But keep it human, personal stories and, and touching stories. This counts today a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. And, and the last one, I, we are, we, I mean, we are marketeers, and, but I have to say something, maybe it's more European approach, I don't know, or my approach. Don't make up stories. Oh, yeah. Don't make up stories. There are so many beautiful stories out there. So just uh, learn how you go out and start witnessing stories, start uh, uh, collecting stories, harvesting stories out there. Uh, As I said before, it's part of my work. Uh, um, Be ready, as uh, uh, one of my mentors says, Christina Baldwin, always be ready to knock the story door of a person and just be there present and capture their stories. There is always something interesting there to get. And then, of course, you can... Uh, transfer it into your everyday uh, work and everyday projects so uh, make up a story just find the right stories and uh, use them in the proper way with respect to the people that they shared it with you
0: yeah one thing I forgot to ask you about what do you you say about uh, integrating uh, some uh, incentives like points uh, you know the gamification of uh, training programs to create some sense of uh, loyalty is it something you do uh, in every training program
1: um i usually gamification um there is a it's it's, it's a buzzword today yep. um in, in in the time that i uh, i started back in 2011 it was in the hype uh, uh phase right. actually i did gamification course in the um what was it in Penn University, I think. I cannot recall with Professor Verban. So I had a, a, my gamification course from a high, top-notch university, and it was amazing. So I'm convinced that gamification can help in terms of uh, uh, um, uh, enhancing the engagement of the people. Uh, but it's, it's, it needs to be in a balanced way. And as, as you probably have seen, mm-hmm. I used also something like badges and points and so on and, and leaderboards. But that was not my cup of coffee. What I took from gamification, it was the avatars, for example. Uh-huh. So using avatars, all this. So uh, um, you know, uh, the metaphors. So mm-hmm. uh, when I had to compare two devices, for example, uh, our device was fast, the other was slower. I make a kind of of animation using a metaphor. So the fast was the rabbit, the slow was the turtle, or the fast uh, was I the see. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. this is a nice thing to, to, to work with items, but this is gamification all about. So I did. I don't use games. Uh, I use elements of games, and this is what gamification is all about. Yeah. Elements and in, in game design. That's important. If you can metaphors and do something like, um, I mean, we did a survey in our, just the last example. We made a survey in our... Uh, about our audiences, about our uh, uh, learners at the time, and we realized that um, the, the uh, most of them were in an average of thirty-five to forty. That was the average age. Oh, and right. we say, okay, what was at the age of uh, seventeen when we were playing games, or what was uh, the most uh, famous game at the time? And it was Super Mario. Mm. So we nice game with super mario because i use also in my projects uh, the familiarity concept so you need to include things that they are familiar to your uh, audience in order to make them again feel more engaged so uh um, Fantastic. There's a lot of things that you can use from gamification but my message is please keep a balance don't overdo it okay yep. don't use gamification for the sake of gamification just use it for the learner's engagement absolutely no, that's wonderful.
0: Uh, definitely, I, I could see myself talking to you for hours about this. <laughs> but <laughs> as you said, you know, one of your first tips, make it short. So we'll have, have to make it short <laughs> uh, for the sake of our audience here. So I want to thank you so much for your time today. And before we leave, uh, how can people uh, reach out and contact you if they have any questions? Um,
1: yeah, let me just uh, I upload the slide. Um, um, um with my contact details actually they can find me in linkedin okay um they can find me in twitter so here can you see it is it yeah yes it's coming. yeah we see um, it. i can share my mail as well but linkedin especially linkedin i'm always there so um i have a rich profile where people can find me there and they can see also a, a lot of things that i'm doing and i'm involved also some social projects that i'm involved we have this beyond beyond storytelling thing i forgot to tell you it's uh it's a kind of, of initiative. We have already uh, performed two successful conferences. We published two books. Now we're publishing the third book. Yeah. It's going to be released in, uh, next June. And the title is Transforming Organizations um, uh, Using Story-Based Approaches. Huh? So Excellent. there we are. Wonderful. So
0: I want to... Thank you again for the time today and the uh, you know, boatload of information you shared about e-learning and how visual storytelling fits into this world. And, and just before we, we go, I want to ma- remind uh, our audience, we actually you know, try to innovate as much as we can uh, uh, on our end. And on March 7th, we actually launching a new program called uh, Coffee Break with Stories. And it's going to be an online a uh, networking roundtable where we're going to have 10 attendees sharing their stories, their personal stories. And we're going to talk a little bit about visual storytelling, questions they have. So I encourage everybody that's listening or watching this broadcast to check us out and sign up. It's a free event uh, online on March 7th, as I said. And all the details will be on uh, our website, visualstorytale.com. So with that, I... Thank you for checking us out, and I'll see you in our next episode. Thank you. Thank you, Yanis.
1: Thank you very much. Visual Storytelling Today is recorded in Miami, Florida. The show is published exclusively by Visual Storytelling Institute. Learn more at visualstorytell.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on the iTunes store. Until next time, don't let your big story wait to be told.